This morning's Easter passage is taken out of Luke 24, and what's interesting about the passage we're looking at is that this is the only gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known as the gospels. This is the only gospel that recounts this story. It's famously recognized as the road to Emmaus. Now, just a few words of what is Emmaus. Emmaus was a town about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And so as you, as you think about this, you can just think of uh, a story in which people are walking from Jerusalem. And you'll see that in the text. But it kind of just places the context. I was thinking about this this week. Like how long does it take to walk a mile? Walk a mile. It's like, okay. At the gym, I get on the, on the treadmill sometimes and I'll walk. And I'm like, I think I'm, I walk about three miles an hour. I don't know the official. But three miles is like a normal kind of walking pace. If you're talking, you might stop sometimes. So you think, you know, two miles an hour. So this, this probably took about three and a half hours, what we're about to read. So that just places some context. But it's a beautiful story, and it's a very uh, interesting story. It is, it is forced my imagination to really rev up, and I hope it does for you today. So it is the story of the road to Emmaus. And if you have your bulletin or a Bible, it will be reading from Luke 24, verse 13, all the way to verse 35. Here now the reading of God's word. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, that they had seen, even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus responds to them saying, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they arose that same hour and went right back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, Pia Wurzbach was a Philippine beauty pageant queen who in 2015 won her national pageant and received entry into the Miss Universe pageant that year being held in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, as an experienced and beautiful contestant, many believed that she was the odds-on favorite to win Miss Universe. Of course, on December 20th, 2015, she did exactly what many thought she would do. She would make it to the final three. She did this alongside Miss USA, Olivia Jordan, and Miss Columbia, Ariadna Gutierrez. Now, after the final round of obligations were completed for the three girls, they came together to hear where they finished. The MC, as he or she often does, becomes very tense and dramatic, and the people in their seats are sitting, who's going to win? Of course, if you know or have seen any of this before, they announce the second runner-up first. And so the, the MC slowly but surely says, second runner-up is Miss USA. And they all congratulate, but we all know she's heartbroken. She didn't win. And she fades to the back, thus leaving two girls, Miss Philippine and Miss Columbia. Pia and I, I want to say Adriana. It's Ariadna. That's, that's a tough word to say. Here they are. And so once again, the MC, in a very dramatic, intense voice, announces... Columbia, Columbia, you are Miss Universe. Ariadna, just exuberant and, oh my goodness, so excited. And Pia, the Philippine winner, just puts, a, puts on a good face, hugs Ariadna, and then quietly retreats to the back of the stage so that Miss Columbia could have her moment. She received her crown, her bouquet of flowers, and a great applause, and the way that girls scream. It was a festive and raucous atmosphere. You've seen it before. But you haven't seen what happens next. The MC is an entertainer named Steve Harvey. And he has to, with egg on his face, say, uh, I, I apologize. The winner of the 2015 Miss Universe pageant is Miss Philippines. The sadness that was all over Pia's face in that moment remained there for some time. She stood there in the back of the stage in complete and utter disbelief, confused at what had just transpired. I mean, what is this is written all over her face. And so Steve Harvey has to say it again, Miss Philippines, you are Miss Universe. And she couldn't move. When I hear this story, or even think about it, and you can watch it too, it feels awkward. But when I see this story unfold on YouTube, I can't help but think of the individuals who are walking on the road to Emmaus on that Easter day. They're crushed at the loss of Jesus, but also really confused at the accounts of the resurrection that they've heard, both from the women and from Simon. What is this? Obviously, they couldn't believe it. And so they headed home away from the disciples who were there with. They headed back to Emmaus in darkness without hope. 
But then on the road, they encounter Jesus, the resurrected Jesus himself in the midst of their despair. But the most darndest thing happens. They can't recognize him. They have no idea that the person walking with them, asking them questions, is the resurrected Jesus himself. And this fascinates me. How do you, a follower of Jesus, not recognize Jesus? This is what causes my imagination to go. And it's what forces me to ask, what is this text trying to teach us? I think there's a lot that this text is trying to teach us. But the one thing that stands out more than anything in this text is that the Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, can be alive and well. He can be around you. But you might have no clue that he's there with you, that it is him. Many of us are like these individuals and like Pia upon hearing that she's Miss Universe after considering the fact that she had just lost. We hear the news, but we stand there in disbelief. Surely, Jesus is not alive. And so we remain stuck in our despair. We can't move. Are you stuck in despair? I mean, has life just beaten you over the head one day after another? Maybe you have good days, but then those bad days just come, and you feel like you can never get rid of the despair, that truly life doesn't amount to much. Well, if this is you, Luke 24 brings good news for you. It brings good news to you in the midst of your despair to awaken you out of that despair and to bring you into the joy of the resurrection. But of course, to enjoy the resurrection, we have to encounter the resurrected and living Christ. And Luke 24 gives to us two ways that we can encounter the resurrected Christ. It is two simple ways. We can read and we can eat. This morning, I want to study this passage in light of of, of what this text gives to us, that we can indeed encounter the risen Lord, the, the, the one who has conquered the grave. We can encounter him through reading and eating. Let's get back to Luke 24 and consider how we can encounter through reading and eating. First, we remember that he's alive, but it is vital that we read. Read, read, read. Now go back to the story. Jesus is astonished after hearing what had transpired. And they explained to him what had transpired in the days past. And he's, he's, he's astounded. And in verse 25, he rebukes them. It's a very fascinating rebuke. He says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. And to believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. And he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses, Jesus then unpacks the prophets and interprets to them in all the scriptures all the things concerning himself. In essence, he takes them back to the Bible, takes them back to the scriptures and says, let me show you how to read. They simply couldn't recognize 
Jesus in his resurrected state because they didn't believe it was possible, because they did not read their Bibles and believe that it was indeed possible. I mean, this is, this is profound. If you think about it, why couldn't they recognize Jesus? Because they couldn't believe that it was possible. They couldn't believe and they didn't read the scriptures. I mean, one of the most profound realities of the Old Testament, if you have read it and have studied it and have thought about it, is that it predicts exactly what would happen with Jesus hundreds of years after it took place. Consider Isaiah 53.5 in regards to the death that Jesus took. Isaiah 53.5, which was written about 500, 600 BC, okay, five to 600 years before Jesus. It says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We see in Isaiah Jesus probably taking Isaiah and saying, this is what had to happen for the redemption of Israel. Can you not see it? And then, and then he unpacks probably Hosea 13, 14, which says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? I mean, it's right in the Bible. Testimonies of, of, of the, the Messiah experiencing being crushed. The Messiah bringing relief from the grave. And yet these Jews had no clue that was even possible. And Jesus rebukes them for their failure to believe that which is written. I want you to see this. The encounter of uh, their encounter with Jesus was inhibited by their inability to believe what was written in scriptures. And the same truth for them is the same truth for you and me. And so we have to read our scriptures. Not just the New Testament but the Old Testament. We have to read because the, the resurrected Christ has so tied up his presence in the scriptures that to avoid the scriptures is to avoid him. If we want to encounter the resurrected Lord, we have to read. There is a great temptation in all of our lives to allow the news of the day, that which we see on our screens or on a social media timeline, to influence us more than allowing the scriptures to influence you know, us. If you take it from their perspective, it's the news of the day that Jesus was crucified, died, and that there's an empty tomb. It's that news of the day that dictated to them their experience of life rather than the scriptures. And Jesus rebukes them for allowing the news of the day to dictate to them their view of the world rather than the scriptures. Oh, we have to read. We have to know our scriptures. We must read the scriptures in our house when we wake up. Listen to them on the way to work. Talk about them with our friends. We must ingrain ourselves in the word of God. For ingraining ourselves in the word of God, we will encounter the resurrected and living Lord. This is where we find our hope in the midst of a world that is wasting away. A world that we know is filled with competition, despair, and destruction. Read, and you will encounter. I, I, th this point, I, I typically don't want to bring into my like myself and like let you know like how this is affecting me. But I, I find myself, as I consider this, th their inability to encounter the risen Lord, like see Him, <laughs> like they see Him but they don't see Him. 
and, and being connected to the reading of Scripture to my own personal interaction with Scripture. And I have been cut to the heart with how I read the Scriptures. Uh, like, like for me, being a pastor, there, there's like this expectation that the pastor is always reading the Scripture. And in, in this reality, there's this mechanical working with the scriptures that I completely just miss out on. And what it reminds me of is like, I can tell you to read the scriptures, and, and that's, that's a good thing, but it's more than that. Because likely these Jews read the scriptures too. It, it just didn't sink true, truly deep down in their, their heart. And it's forced me to ask, how am I reading the scriptures? And it should force me to ask you, how are you interacting with the scriptures? My, my guess is many of you are interacting with the scriptures on some level. But are you encountering the risen Lord in the midst of reading the scriptures? If what we see in this text is that the risen Lord is uniquely in, in, entwined with the scriptures, then how we experience the Lord, it, it's, it's tied into this. And so one of the things that I, that I think is really great about what we do as a church and as we think about how we walk and i think the road to emmaus is a, is a metaphor for how we walk our life the seeing jesus the cbr journals that we have is a great tool to help us not engage with the scriptures mechanically so if, if the, in, in the back there's these black books we, we call that the cbr seeing jesus and each day it encourages us to read passages of scripture, but it's not just reading it like mechanically. It, it causes us to meditate. It asks us, meditate on these scriptures. And we have to think about it and embrace it. And then, and then it says, pray these scriptures. And then lastly, it tells you what's next. It calls you to embody the scriptures. I think this is so important when we think about reading, that we don't just read it mechanically, that we read it the way that it's tended to be read. So we read them. We meditate them on them. We let the word sit in our hearts. And maybe you just let a phrase, God is good, from the Bible. God is good. Maybe you just let that like linger in your mind. And then you pray it. And then you consider how to live it. It's not just this mechanical reading of scripture. It is a embracing the full orb of it. When we do this, when we read it in this way, I am convinced that we can encounter the risen Lord. It's reason why the travelers on the road eventually said, do you remember what they said? Did not our hearts burn within us? In hindsight, they re recognized, oh, we had been with the Lord the whole time as we've been in the scriptures. So we read. We read the scriptures to encounter the resurrected Lord. My friends, he's alive. Read. Read. But there's another way. This isn't the only way that we can experience the resurrected Lord. We can encounter him in another way, through eating. So my friends, he's alive. Eat. Of course, we can see, as we consider this text, it wasn't that through their understanding of Scripture, when Jesus was unpacking it to them, that the travelers recognized that Jesus was with them. No, it was in the receiving of bread. Verse 30 says, when he was at table with them, Jesus took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It was the bread 
that caused them to believe. It was the bread that awakened them to the encounter that they were having with the risen Lord. It was the bread broken and received that moved these individuals from sadness to joy. What was happening here? There's certainly, no doubt, there's a spiritual mystery in this story, just like there's a spiritual mystery in taking the Lord's Supper each and every week. But I also think this text gives us clues to their unveiling of their eyes of who was in front of them. I want to take you back to verse 21. Remember what what they said to to Jesus about what their hope for Jesus was? Do you remember what they said about him? We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. Now, redemption in their minds and in the ancient world was always a a signifier of deliverance on the payment of a price. You and I know this. We don't get coupons very often anymore. Maybe we do. We get them in the mail. It's like, hook them up. But if you look on the bottom of a coupon, you will see it says, redeem by. Someone's paying the price for that coupon. And oftentimes, it's the one who's providing the coupon for you. They want you to buy their product, to continue to buy their product, but they are paying for it. It's the same way in their minds for redemption. Redemption was always on the payment of a price. Something, someone had to pay to gain redemption. Of course, the greatest Old Testament redemption story was the one that the Jews experienced in Egypt. And the Jews were then redeemed by the blood of the lamb that was painted on the doorposts of each Hebrew household. They were, you could say that the Jews were redeemed by the blood. Now when you take into account what Jesus had explained about the Old Testament, starting from Moses and going all the way to the prophet, and then it leading to the bread, and the very bread being the thing that opened their eyes, I think, What was happening here is that they were seeing in Jesus the Redeemer. And all that was explained to them finally made sense when they tasted and they saw that the Lord was good. That the Lord himself was the one who purchased redemption through his body. When they took, they saw. They understood in that moment in the body of Christ they had the forgiveness of sins. They had the redemption they needed with God himself. And it was the bread that did this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, eat the body of Christ, broken and shed for you. Drink his blood poured out for you for the remission of sins. For in doing this, you encounter the risen Lord. Eat. The Lord has so chosen this meal to my left to be a place where we encounter himself. It is a place for our strengthening. It is a place for our emboldening. It is a place where we encounter the risen Lord. So take and eat. Do it with gratitude and hopeful expectation. Eat. In eating, we encounter the risen Lord. I want to take you back to Las Vegas in December of 2015. Pia stood there in disbelief. She couldn't believe what was unfolding before her. No one could. And so she stood. She didn't move. But Miss USA, who was standing right by her, 
leaned over to her and nudged her with excitement saying, you won. You won. Go get your crown. And Pia, very hesitantly and very shockingly said, okay. Luke 24 is like Miss USA. And it's telling us, hey, Jesus has risen, but you got to read and you got to eat to encounter him. When we read and when we eat, we encounter the risen Lord. And when we encounter the risen Lord, there is joy. And there is great joy in the midst of great sadness. There is joy in the midst of great darkness because the Lord has indeed been resurrected. He has won us a great victory. He has brought us out of darkness and into light. Oh, that we would be nudged by Luke 24 to encounter the Lord through reading his word and eating his body. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks to you for the great victory that you have won over death. This brings us great hope in the face of death. It gives us hope in the midst of our sin. It is Romans 4 that says, you are raised for our justification. We know that we have been forgiven. We know that we stand not condemned in your presence, but forgiven and clean. And so we rejoice in this. Yet many of us are often don't encounter you. We stand in disbelief. We ignore your scriptures and even the table that you've given to us to eat and encounter you. Oh Lord, forgive us. May we be diligent to seek your word and to read it. Would you read it with more uh, careful anticipation? May we enjoy your presence in your meal this day and all the days of our life. Amen.